And everybody said, if you have a Bible, meet me in James chapter five, James chapter five on the heels of last week's question. What is life? I hear music. Did anybody else hear that? It's off. (laughs) She's like, thank you. But on the heels of last week's question, what is life? Comes this exhortation at the beginning of chapter five to those of us who are affluent. That is going to be the vast majority of us in this culture and in this country. But we've spent time dealing with that in past sermons. So what I want to do is I want to jump right to verse seven and encourage you to go back and listen to the other ones if if you haven't. But I want to move right to verse seven, because what what happens starting in James chapter five, verse seven is James is going to begin to make this descent to the end of the letter. And he's going to make his descent to the end of the letter and all of the things in light of all of the things that he has said to this point. He's going to make a series of final calls to us, a final calls to the church about what God is doing and our role and response to that. And remember, he's writing it to this scattered people, this people living in chaos, this people living in persecution. And just to kind of set the tone for where we're headed this morning, I want to read you a quote from Augustine. Here's what here's what Augustine wrote many, many years ago. He said, whatever marvel happens in this world, it is certainly less marvelous than the world itself. I mean, the sky and the earth and all that is in them. And these God certainly made. But as the creator himself is hidden and incomprehensible to man, so also is the manner of creation. Although, therefore, standing the standing miracle of the visible world is little thought of because always before us, yet when we arouse ourselves to contemplate it, it is a greater miracle than the rarest and most unheard of marvels. Why do I read you that? Because to keep in theme with the questions we've been asking, we've been asking a question each week. Last week, what is life? What is this life that we live? And we transition this week, and I want to ask you a two-part question in this fashion. Will you remember the Lord? Will you remember the Lord? And therefore, James is going to call us to establish your heart. Will you remember the Lord? We know we're supposed to. I love how our friend Zach from V3 writes it in his book. He says, this is something we know that we want. We know that we need and yet we don't have it. We, we know there's something more to life, right? We hear Jesus say stuff like you can have an abundant life. And yet in the malaise of our moment, we just don't have it. We know there's something more. And James asked this question of people who are scattered throughout the city, scattered throughout the outskirts. 
a church, a people of God who are probably confused and wondering what's next and will God bring them back together? And he says, will you remember the Lord? I love that question. We could apply the same question to ourselves. Will we remember that we are simply falling in the long line of faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his capital C church for thousands of years? More than a hundred just in this very location. It is very easy to get wrapped up in our own world. It is very easy for us to forget that God is on the move throughout the earth. That it is not just about us. It is not just about you or me. Will we remember the Lord? We could look at our own circumstances over the last seven years and remember the Lord. I want to show you two pictures. Can you put the first one up? This was the very first place that Redeemer City Church ever met. Some of you have seen this photo. A couple of you were in this photo. And I think most of you were my family because I made you come. (laughs) That was the beginning of Redeemer City Church seven years ago at the bottom of a staircase over in Ebor because my wife's boss let us use their building. (laughs) Will we remember the faithfulness of God? Go to the next one. It is... The very first time we were going to meet in what was our former building. And let me tell you, as excited as I was to be in this building today, I was more excited back then to be in that building. But that building, as we entered it like this picture, we didn't leave it like that picture. God is always on the move. He is always faithful He may not do exactly what you thought he was going to do or exactly what you want him to do. But what we do know is he does what he's going to do. And that's good news. That's very good news. Will we remember the Lord? First Thessalonians 524 is the testimony of Redeemer City Church. And I would venture to say it's the testimony of your life. It says this, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's been the testimony of the church for thousands of years, and it is the testimony of this one. And I would ask you, what about you? Similarly, will you remember individually all that God has done on your behalf? If I was to go around the room right now and ask you to list the things, the anxieties of life, the obstacles in your way, the mountains that need to be spoken to, that Jesus says, if you will in just a little bit of faith, tell this mountain to be cast into the sea, I'll do it. If I was to go around and ask you what your mountain is, you could tell me. You could probably tell me more than one. You could probably tell me about many mountains But you could also probably tell me about many mountains that you have already seen God move, right? Where is God moving in your life? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Why is this question in front of us, though? Why this question in this moment? Because James, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, 
walks us straight into the answer to that question. If you have a Bible, look at James chapter five, starting in verse seven. And let's listen to what the word of the Lord has to say. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? James chapter five, verse seven says this. Be patient. How's that going? (laughs) She says good. I love that. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until when? What does it say? The coming of the Lord. How many of us are living in light of the coming of the Lord? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Here we go. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You can be seated. The command among a few is to be patient and to establish your heart. We live in a culture of speed. We live in a culture of hurry. We live in a culture of get it done. And for Jesus to come along and live the life that he lived and for James to come to a people in a city that was growing and on the move and in the midst of chaos and say, be patient For the coming of the Lord is at hand, matters to us, commands us to be patient and establish our heart. To do that, James gives us one illustration and one reminder, and they're very applicable to us. They're very obvious to us. The illustration is a farmer, just like a farmer plants seed into soil and then works and waits patiently for the early rain. You can see that, right? I grew up in the Northeast in uh, rural Pennsylvania, and you could drive not far from my house and be lost in acres and acres and acres of land. My kids have no idea what that's like. I mean, we have like a little patch of grass out here as we fenced it in. We're like, we're going to play outside today. Woo, it's going to be great. It's like, it's like brick in it. <laughs> it's like, so if you get a skin knee for your kid, I'm sorry. But there's grass. It's great. It's green, sort of. Acres and acres of farmland. The best sweet corn you can eat. <laughs> that was my dad. I received that. Right? Like we have that picture. You, maybe you've been in a plane and you've flown over the Midwest and just seen acres and acres of farmland. And you can picture a farmer going out with his tractor or back in the day with a plow. I'll never forget being in Ethiopia to pick up uh, our oldest from Ethiopia when we adopted him when he was five. 
And just watching those farmers work the earth. It was amazing. With an oxen and a plow that they were hanging on to for dear life. It was, it was impressive. What they got done in a day was unreal. And so we have this picture, we can see it, and then a farmer scattering seed into that soil. And then what does he do after all of that hard work? He does a lot of waiting. I want to wonder if you have been planting seed in your kids or planting seeds in your marriage or planting seeds at work. And honestly, you just you just don't see the fruit that Jesus has promised. Jesus said, by your fruit, you will know them, but that that there's this abundant life. And and yet there is this season of waiting that all of us walk through. I think about Ezekiel when he was standing in front of a valley of dry bones, wondering what, like, why? Why am I here? And the Lord caused those bones to stir. And I don't doubt that there's many of us in this room or watching online that that's the season that you're in. You're just, if, if one more thing <laughs> comes down the line, I'm going to break. One more thing. We're like that farmer who plants seed in the soil and then he continues to work and he continues to wait and he continues to pray. God, would you send that rain? God, would you send that rain? God, would you send that rain? And then that early rain comes, James says, and I can just you can feel the relief. You can feel the anticipation that the farmer who has worked all of that soil as he watches that rain come and hit it. But even when the rain comes. And it waters that earth and it waters that seed. What comes after that? More waiting, right? More patience. Even when God answers yes and waters that crop, there's still more waiting. And I want to encourage somebody today that wherever you are, if you've been working that life, right? Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it. But so many of us, if, if you're like me, you come to these, you come to these mountains, you come to these walls, and it would be so easy to just stop. And I want to encourage you to keep going because as that farmer waits and watches and works and waits and watches and works and those early rains come and then he waits and watches and works and waits and watches and works and then those late rains come and then those seeds begin to germinate and he begins to see that little thing come up out of the ground. You still have to wait. I'm seeing the fingers of God in my life, but I'm still having to wait. And then that sprout comes up and it begins to grow and it begins to bud and it begins to have fruit. And then finally, that moment comes where that farmer gets to harvest what he has worked so hard for. But even the harvest is work. Even the harvest is work. And then comes the moment where he sits down at his table And he enjoys the fruit of that labor. Scripture says, don't grow weary while doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. Why? Because God often does not move at the speed of us. 
Are you aware of that? God works in perfect time. His time. And he invites you to rest. He invites you, as scripture says, to enter into his rest. And so, we wait. We wait. As we watch and pray, we wait like patient farmers, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, planting seed, making a difference in people's lives, sharing Jesus with them, making good work with our hands, showing up day in and day out, embodying this faith while we establish our hearts because we have tasted and seen that he is good. What James says is we establish our hearts. Why? He doesn't just tell you to establish your hearts because you're capable of establishing your heart. What does he say? He says, establish your hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. What we've been looking at in James is that when grace comes into your life, it will ultimately flow out of your life. That when God's grace fills your cup and you are bumped into that, it's his grace that will spill out. Our vision must always go up before it can go out. It must always go up and it must always go in with him before it can ever go out. If you skip the process and just jump to serve, you will get burned out. You have to fall in love with Jesus first. We love only because he first loved us. There is no other path. His coming is near So we are responding and living with that kind of expectation that the Lord who is high above is actually near. But James nods to something in this moment and in this text that happens to all of us. That so often happens to all of us and I don't want us to miss it. When I first read this text this week, I was a little bit confused by it because this is like the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be like a farmer. Wait and work and wait and work. Let's go. The coming is near. But then he drops this little nugget in for all of us because we all struggle with it. What does he say? Do you know what it is? He says, do not complain. What does that have to do with the coming of the Lord is at hand? (laughs) Be like the farmer who's working and waiting and working and waiting and the harvest will come. But don't grumble against each other. Seems a little out of place. James nods to this because so often as we are living our life in light of Jesus impending arrival, which could be at any moment like a thief in the night, the scripture says, with the sound of a trumpet, we are forgetting the work and purpose of the Lord in our life because we stop heeding the call of Hebrews to fix our eyes on Jesus and we start fixing our eyes on us. Does anybody in the room struggle with that? One of you. Is it not so easy to forget what James talked about? Is it not so easy to forget the word that the prophets spoke in the name of the Lord? Is it not so easy to forget Job as he laid in the ashes and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Is it not so easy to remember that it was just a few thousand years ago that Jesus himself took on flesh, he took on a body and he walked this earth and he went to the cross and he died for you and for me and for everybody who would call on his name and then he rose to life three days later and then he ascended back to heaven in their midst. That those things happened and we have reliable witness of those things happening and yet we get lost Forgetting that we have seen the Lord at work. You see, because just like if I went around the room and asked you, what's the mountain standing in your way? I could also ask you, what's the mountain that you've seen God move in your life? And we would have those too, but how easily and quickly we forget. How easily and quickly we forget. And James says, friends, we don't have time to grumble against each other. If there was a thing throughout the history of the church that has always stood in its way, it's that we turn inward. It's that we turn inward. We, we, we start forgetting about Pastor Sandy in Indonesia. We start forgetting about Pastor Pana in Cambodia. We start forgetting about all the people around the earth where God is at work in hard places. And we start to focus on ourselves. And we could apply that to our own individual life where we start to look at all the circumstances that are in my life and we forget that the same God who rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. So when we sing things like, I will speak to the mountain, we're not saying that we have some inherent power that somebody else doesn't have. We are saying that we have a God who has chosen to take residence in us who is infinitely greater than the one who is in the world. That's what we sing about. The coming of the Lord is near. So our yes can be yes, James says, and our no can be no. And we don't need to complain and we don't need to grumble and we don't need to do all these other things. We just need Jesus. Next week, we'll look at the resulting lifestyle that comes from that. How we pray, how we serve, how we do those things. But for now... For today, aren't you grateful that James reminds us in the midst of that call to establish your heart and remember the Lord? Aren't you glad that he reminds you that in the midst of that, you have a God who is merciful and compassionate? See, because at the end of the day, that's where we land. Because if you're anything like me, Every day is a struggle. Every day is a struggle. I, I, I love, we say it every week. I love what Paul said. I don't do the things I want to do and I do do the things that I don't want to do. And so help me God. Who will deliver me from this body of death? God will. God will. So we bring this full circle to where we started this series in James. In James chapter 1 verse 18. And it's the thesis of the book and none of the things that we've talked about today can happen without it. Where he says of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we could be the first fruits of his creation. What are we farming? What are we planting? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for God. We're waiting for him to show up in our life and and join him in the renewal of all things. We're praying the way he taught us to pray. 
God, would you bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? And I get to be a part of that. When we, in the future, have an event in this very yard, we won't do it because we need to do it. We do it because we want somebody to know that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, whatever they heard on the news or whatever they see in science or whatever they see out in the world or whatever they experience in their life, that there is a God who is above them, who knows them, who loves them, who died for them and who wants to call them into his family because he's not willing that anyone should perish, but that everybody should have eternal life. But he says in his word, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Who's the feet? You. We are, we are God's plan to renew the earth, that he will work through us. He will make, as first Corinthians says, he will make his appeal to the world through us. That's scary. (laughs) If I didn't know he was all knowing and he knew what he was doing, I said, that's a bad plan. That's a bad plan, God. No, no, no. Why? Because all the people that are around us, they need to know that we're no different than they are. We have the same struggles, the same hiccups in life, the same anxieties of life. All we're doing is letting them know that we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Amen? That's it. We do that by remembering the Lord. What have you seen the Lord do in your life? Where have you seen him at work? And if you haven't, I promise you it's not because he isn't working in the world. But it might be because we have become distracted and we've become complaining and grumbling and doing the things of this earth and organizing the relational gymnastics and wondering how somebody feels and doing all the things. When in reality, if we would all just... Fix our eyes on Jesus. The scripture says that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of redemption. Will you remember the Lord and establish your heart? How do I establish my heart? By remembering the Lord. They go like a dovetail in woodwork. You can't have one without the other. We live in an increasingly confused and divisive culture. And it's our time as God's kids who he put in this moment for this place, for this time. To join him in the renewal of all things. He's at work. And he's called you. Put your name there. You. You. To join that long line of faithfulness. Grace that goes in can and will come out. And that's a good thing. Because he, as scripture says, is at work in you for his will and his good pleasure. Amen. That's our confession. That's our confession. So what I want to do as we close this moment is I want to just take a minute to pray. Not just for the idea that is moving into this building. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. 
And I want to invite you to pray for you and to pray for me and to pray for us. That as we step into this neighborhood, which has been here for a long time. That we would contribute to the flourishing of this place. That us being in this neighborhood would bring joy and hope and peace and love and nothing else. So why don't you stand with me and let's take a moment to dedicate these next years of ministry in this place. On one hand, it feels pretty significant. On the other hand, it feels like this is what God's been doing for thousands of years. Amen. On one hand, it's significant for us and exciting. On the other hand, he's been at work in his people for all of time. And I love holding that tension up because it doesn't it doesn't rest on us. (laughs) It doesn't rest on us. He is at work. The invitation is for us to remember him. For us to look to him. For us to rest in him. Not for us to do his work for him. That makes sense? So we join him. We join him who is faithful. At what he's doing already in the world. Let me pray. God, thanks for every single person standing in this place. Thank you for every single person watching online. I pray that as we consider this moment, as we consider this time, God, I want to first express our gratitude for Zion Lutheran Church. That as they have been in this place for more than a hundred years, that they have come to Redeemer City Church and invited us to be a part of continuing that work on this corner. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would cause them to flourish. I pray that as we leave our old building, I pray that you would cause Courageous Church who has moved into that building. I pray that you would cause them to flourish. That the friends that we made on that corner who would show up there today and find a different church would be welcome. And that they would still be able to taste and see that you are good. Father, I pray for Redeemer City Church. I pray that as we gather in this place, it feels significant, Lord. It feels like a long time coming. It feels like you have something to say and you have something to do in these next ten years. And that you have gathered a people unto yourself for such a time as this. We remember what you did in the life of Esther. We remember what you did in David's life. We remember what you did in Job's life. We remember what you did in that church in Jerusalem that James was writing to. We remember, Jesus, what you did when you came to this earth on our behalf. And we ask that you would use us for the flourishing of people on this earth. Whatever that looks like in these next 10 years, I pray that you would give us a clear vision for what you are doing and that we would have the privilege to be a part of it. Jesus, we love you. We are grateful for you today. And it's in your name that we pray.
Amen. As we get ready to sing another song, um, I want to invite you not to stop thinking about that. Wherever you find yourself, whatever your work is, whatever your place of living is, whatever your fill in the blank, whatever you're going through, God doesn't make mistakes when he brings a people together. And so he has given you a gift, scripture says, to be used in the places that he has brought you. Part of that is here when we gather and we want you to sign up to serve. There's lots to do. But a bigger part is the other six days of the week, is it not? So as you find your purpose, I want to invite you to go through the process. Sign up for Growth Track. Figure out how you're wired. Figure out how we can serve you and then you can serve the body. But then as they asked Martin Luther when he was alive on this earth, they said, how does a Christian live a good Christian life? And his answer was really simple. He said, they should make good shoes. (laughs) So wherever you find yourself, you're wondering, like, what is God doing with me as I help people work out or I sell them infusion pumps or I, whatever, whatever it is that you find yourself doing. I just want to encourage you that God's at work in that place, whether you're teaching kids or stay at home mom or stay at home dad or working in a tech field or whatever it is, I just want you to know that God's put you there on purpose. And what we want to do over the next 10 years is say, why did God put us in this place as a corporate body? And why did he put you where you are at as an individual body? And how do those things coexist? So over the next few months and years, we're going to continue to tweak the process. We're going to continue to tweak this room. We're going to continue to tweak out there. We're going to continue. So I ask for your grace in that. But at the same time, I ask for your excitement in that. That scripture says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible says that when Jesus was headed to the cross, that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. There are significant things that God wants to do in and through you. So today, just make that commitment to enter into his rest. And so as we sing this song, I just invite you to lift your hands to the Lord. Pray to him. Respond to him in this moment. If we can pray with you, Jerome's at the back. I'll be up front. Someone around you would be honored to pray with you. I know that takes some guts. But we would love to get to know you. We would love to serve you in that way. So let's sing this out together, church. And uh, enjoy this moment in the Lord's presence.